0: And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. And by Shewerton Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're Out to Lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business, Baton Rouge style.
1: Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. They say that while people in most places eat to live, here in South Louisiana we live to eat. And for those who make their living in the culinary world, that means the stakes are high and the competition intense. Daniel Thompson knows this well. He's the executive chef and co-owner of D'Agostino Pasta Company, a Baton Rouge-based business located in the Drusilla Shopping Center that makes homemade pastas and pasta sauces and is rapidly expanding its footprint in supermarkets from Lafayette to New Orleans. Daniel is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and has headed the kitchens of such well-known Louisiana restaurants as Commander's Palace, the Grill Room at Windsor Court, the Baton Rouge Country Club, and White Oak Landing Plantation. Daniel, you have a great story. Can't wait to hear about what y'all are up to these days at D'Agostino. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: And Mike Johnson is co-owner of Julio Brothers Restaurant, another Baton Rouge food institution. In a city that it seems sometimes like it's overrun with chain restaurants, DiGiulio is a beloved neighborhood institution, the kind of restaurant that people around here wish we had more of. The restaurant was founded in 1987 at the base of the Perkins Road overpass by his father and uncle and became well known for its Italian American menu. Today, Mike runs the establishment and it's a rare night when he's not behind the bar or back in the kitchen keeping things running smoothly. Mike, thanks for joining us on Out to Lunch.
3: Thank you for having us.
1: Now, Daniel, I'm going to start with you. You got into the business in 2013 when you and your partners bought Pasta Frazina, which had been in this community for a long time. They were a pasta maker. But y'all have really expanded the products, kicked it up to the next level. What made you want to leave the restaurant world and get into the pasta making business with the D'Agostino family?
2: Well, uh, um we were work. I was working probably 70 hour weeks, 60, 70 hour weeks at Nalaway Plantation and I talked to uh, Mr. D'Agostino about um, business opportunities and this arose and I figured if we're working that hard for somebody else, might as well work that hard for myself.
1: And the da- the, the Frisinas were selling their company or they were yeah. ready to get out of it, yes, right? Yes,
2: the Frisinas were selling their company and uh, moving to our, to Georgia. Mm. So.
1: Now, it's one thing to be a great chef or a good chef, um, but making pasta, I would imagine, is a whole separate animal. It's like baking cakes. You really have to know what you're doing.
2: It is, and the um, antique pasta machine that we make all our pasta on really does most of the work for us, but uh, when we turn the pasta machine on, we make a 1,000 pounds of pasta at a time. That's a lot. Yes, and um, it's only semolina number one in water, so it's not too hard, the ingredients are right.
1: Um, did you have to, did you go back and take a course on pasta making or read up on it or, st- or study? No, before
2: we uh, would turn the machine on, the old owner of uh, Frank Fresina, he stayed with us for about three months or maybe even six months and made pasta with us every time that we would make pasta. And uh, he made sure that we were trained on how to use the machine, and um, if any problems arose, what we would do to That's fix great. them. That's great.
1: So you really learned from the master. Yes. And you all have really expanded, though. I, I loved that place, and I loved what they did. Y'all have really kicked it up a notch. Um, wh- you've introduced new products?
2: Uh, our tomato sauce. Um, it's the tomato sauce I would make for my family at home. and. Um, we cooked it, we tasted it, and then uh, brought it to LSU um, food incubator, and the food scientist uh, helped us out there, and we got it into a jar, and now we are making it and selling it to a bunch of groceries. And
1: and, and have you expanded the pastas you make, or, or you're just making more of it?
2: We're just making a lot more of it. Uh, we sell to a lot of the local restaurants, the Julio's being one of them. Um, and we sell to grocery stores. Now, the Fresinas were only selling out of the retail store that we still have on Drusilla Lane, so we just make a lot more pasta.
1: Well, speaking of DiGiulio's, um Mike, as I said, your restaurant, it's, it's really a unique sort of neighborhood institution. Why don't we have more restaurants like that in Baton Rouge? Uh,
3: uh, I'm glad they're not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was told for years. Uh, I think one of the first big chains to come in was the Chili's over here, right, right sure. on on uh, College, and um, oh gosh, uh, the the proprietor was in our restaurant last night. Uh, he's running some of the Flemings now. He's a regional manager with those and regional owner, but uh, he. Uh, he he started that chain and he ran it real well it was probably the number one chilies in 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 louisiana in the world or somewhere in there i don't know i just know it was a big successful chilies probably still doing well today but i was always told about that time which is about 25 years ago Mm -hmm. the chains didn't really want to come to louisiana because they couldn't compete with the cajuns and 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 italians down here and 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 so they didn't want to go into the uh the franchising business and they come and go You know you'll see a lot of them come and go uh but i guess the influx of people over the last 20 25 years 30 years we're going to make 30 years coming up in june uh that that i guess there's a there's a a niche for having some chain restaurants and they're just so simple to get in you know you can you pay a franchise fee you start a restaurant you have a foolproof plan and uh I, I personally wouldn't. I, I would have to pay those fees for those people. When I know how to do it now, although still big risk. I, and getting started in a restaurant business today is probably—it's well, always been tough. What am I saying? You know. And, uh,
1: now you came up into it. It was a family business, and you it, sort of inherited it. I know you had a lot of cousins, but you're the one that is really.
3: Well, it—it it, it really uh, to give you a part history on it. It started with uh, three gentlemen, uh, John Julia, who is my father-in-law. Fred Julia, who was his brother, and a guy named Richard Cole, who was still my partner today, and okay. we split it 50 50, um, and so they started it when you go in there it was not meant to be here 30 years later it was not (laughs) i think they celebrated the first year thinking we cannot believe we made it a year that's great but they had a clause in there to buy the building and the property and after several years they went ahead and did that and i showed up on their doorstep i had a girlfriend at the time that went to work for them and i was working in bar rooms and stuff like that and uh and so I ended up actually marrying the boss's daughter, but well, that worked out well. To yeah, so they, but they they still charge me full price. I still like to say that to everybody. <laughs> you and know. you
1: know the building, I mean, it's, no, it's not much to look at honestly, but I think the building makes it in so many respects. It gives it that character and that sense of authenticity that people feel like they're in a real place and well, not like I, in a strip mall. Uh,
3: cor- correct. I, I walk into this beautiful restaurant here at Mansoor's, and it's all <laughs> gorgeous and nice, and I'm jealous. But as they, they, they'll they explain, and, you, you know, it's a, it's an ecosystem. So, yeah, I'd love to order it to build another bigger, badder version of it, but people would swear the food doesn't taste the same. They
1: anymore. would. and, and So
3: p- when you go there and you have to wait an hour, and you in particular, don't even mind it. I get a little anxious, but you're like, don't change a thing. So
1: No, and you see everybody you know, and, yeah. and you— are well tended by those behind the bar they always make sure you have a drink so that's nice that's right and, and what's the secret to the like your menu doesn't change very much but like consistently good food
3: uh Yeah, I appreciate that, you know, and all restaurants go through some change when you lose a long-term employee that's done a lot of the work, or or you slack off, and so we we go in and have a tasting every morning, I taste all the sauces, and I've got some guys that have worked in the kitchen there for over 15 or 20 years, and they handle most of the the big stuff, the sauces, Mm -hmm. the red sauce, the manicotti, the lasagnas. And so then we have some guys that come in at night and put out the food that have been in with us long. Just very blessed to have long-term employees, really. Be honest with you.
1: And and did you have a culinary background?
3: Uh, no, no. My my PhD stands for hole digging. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, yeah, no. But I I've just always been a, in the bar business at, during college. Okay. And so one thing led to another, and so we just and so I went to work for these guys and. They, you know, I'd worked for Tony Roma's in, in Dallas. I'd worked for some big chains and, and didn't really like that. They were, You know, you had to carry a piece of butter out on a, a, seven, a 17-foot tray, and I was like, you know, and these guys were just real relaxed, and they, were, they they actually would ask me more than they knew at the time, and so it was great, and they were just so relaxed, and it was not a, a meeting every five minutes, and so I just said, oh, I, I can finish school here and finish this job, and then, you know 25 years later I'm here we are still finishing with them you know so <laughs> that's great ended up having a chance to buy in so it was great
1: now now daniel you sell your pasta now to de julio's among other restaurants yes how it, many it, restaurants are y'all in in the baton rouge area
2: probably about 12 restaurants in the baton rouge area um julio's buys the most pasta that we out of all the restaurants uh, of course it's one of the better restaurants uh, little village buys all our pastas and than uh, Jubin's and Fresh Kitchen, and a few other ones.
1: Was it hard to get them to switch from whoever they were buying it from?
2: Um, not most of the restaurants would definitely they don't mind paying a little more for better quality pasta, and um, no, not not really. Um,
1: What's the, how much more, for instance, is it to, to buy percentage wise your pasta than something that comes off
3: the Cisco truck? Is uh, it immaterial?
2: probably about 50% more well, that's a good bit yes yes
1: is it um, worth it Mike
3: I think so because um you know there's a with the influx of TV and a and, in uh, food network and, and and fresh to farm to table and all these little uh, words and stuff and and like we said if it's not broke we don't fix it but um Daniel being uh, with his resume and and Charlie being there um, it, it just think that it, it really helps the community. It's 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 a uh, it's fifty percent, but we're not talking about you know thousands of dollars. It, sure. It, and your bottom line, you don't have to go up to charge it, and you give people a much fresher product that's made to order almost, and so it's just kind of nicer to give, to give. Uh I think the Baton Rouge clientele
2: also is looking for better products now, and in, in handmade artisanal products, and they're really it's changing here in baton rouge is there a like secret? the chains like yeah, you said the chains absolutely. before i think they're looking for more mm-hmm. mom and pops restaurants that people put love into the food
1: i, I would think that's absolutely right is, is there a secret to making really great pasta um
2: uh, well the our pasta machine came from Italy in 1926 that's so cool and it'll cool. still make up about <laughs> 3,000 pounds a day um it's We use great uh, semolina, great flour, uh, and we use water, our Baton Rouge water, but then we also air dry it for three days, which makes it uh, cook like a fresh pasta, and you can really taste the semolina that we use, Um, and the larger companies stick their pasta in a microwave and dry it within about 30 minutes. And it gets real hard and brittle, and you can't taste the flour. So
1: you air dry it instead of bake dry it. Yes. So maybe that is... That it, how do you have enough space in that shopping center to make all this pasta?
2: Oh, uh, We have two drying rooms. We have one for our cut pasta, which we make some really interesting shapes, like fleur de crawfish, and alligator-shaped pastas. But then we have another one for the long pasta. And um, we sell a lot more long pasta than... Um, the cut pasta. The cut pasta is really easy to make. The long pasta, we still dance around on bamboo sticks <laughs> to even it out so it dries right. And then um, when we make long pasta, we probably do about, I'd say, 600 bamboo sticks at a time. And then after it's dry, we have to cut it all off by hand. And
1: How many employees do you have back there?
2: Uh, we have three employees, and that's including myself. And um, we just this is a lot of work it sounded like (laughs) but it's fun it's a lot of fun and um,
1: what time do you say how much do you make a day and how long does it last um,
2: we we make pasta about twice a week and um, we start at six in the morning and we usually finish around two o'clock in the afternoon and of course we sell it fresh the day that we make it
1: you're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. We're talking to Daniel Thompson of D'Agostino Pasta Company and Mike Johnson of DiGiulio Brothers. Mike, I wanted to ask you because you mentioned, you know, the trend towards more locally sourced foods and the demand for that from customers. How much locally sourced food do you all, do you all purchase at Julio's and serve? I mean, have you all gotten into the farm to table movement?
3: You know, uh, not on my menu because we we don't describe it as you know, uh, CC Lockwood's fresh <laughs> right. chicken eggs from St. Francisville right. farm. Uh, we've been doing what we do. It's just you have a you have a consumer now, a younger consumer that's just more educated. Mm-hmm. You know that that has a uh, you know a, a background or watching food networks and watching TV to understand. They like that so. Uh, no, no, forced to do that, but it's uh, it's nice, and, and so really the, uh, the the you know the the Daniel and these guys are kind of brought our attention to it really. So we're we're st- we're looking around. We're we're you know we're looking for some locally forced uh some um, meats and stuff like that, and and people are coming to us. But uh, again, you know um, we we use uh, some stuff out of a uh, uh, Georgia and stuff like that with Cisco, because they're a distributor for. for Butcher Block and some other things. It, it's it's farm to table, but it, it's, you know, you have to, it's and also, you gotta keep your prices down. Sure. And keep everything else going. Well,
1: and then if you read the trade pubs, you know, some sometimes the farm to table label is misleading. I mean, there are all sorts of exposés now that some of these restaurants that say they're sourcing locally really don't, so.
3: Yeah, and, and I think that's what's great about the local restaurants. I think they all pretty much try to do that. I don't believe that anybody's pulling the wool over anybody's yeah. eyes, I mean. You know you might get some places here in town that say it's my my but it's drum or something like yeah. that uh, but i don't find that. well i want to
1: take a little break from business gentlemen to sort of just switch gears for a minute and maybe get some insight into your personality a little bit so tell me what culinary figure a chef or a restaurateur or it could be a family member or whoever has most influenced your career and your cooking and how
2: um i, I love working at. um Windsor Court, um, Chef Rene Bourgeois. He was a French master chef Okay. Um, when I worked there, and he was just an all-around great guy, was green right out of culinary school. And, when were you there, Daniel? Um, I think it was in 2003.
1: And, and Windsor Court Grill Room, I mean, that was probably the finest restaurant in New Orleans in those years. It was the
2: only five-store restaurant and hotel in yes. New Orleans when I worked there, and uh, they were very patient with me and taught me a lot, and uh, we just had some great ingredients to work with anything we wanted we would just talk to him, and we could get in from white truffles to pheasant uh i remember i saw kangaroo for the first time wow
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. what a, um what a great experience though yes and and where is he now do you keep up with him um
2: i think after katrina i believe he had moved to the caribbean to run a resort there and then he came back and worked with john besh at um a restaurant in Covington, La Provence.
1: Sure, that's another good
2: one. um, Now I don't know where he is from there.
1: But sometimes do you catch yourself at work and you really can feel that influence or or what you learned from him coming out and what you're doing?
2: Uh, It was his attitude that really I learned from and like how he had so much pressure of parties going on here and everything. um, And it was his attitude that I really fell in love with. You didn't see the pressure, you didn't see um he was serious and taught everybody so he was he was a great chef to work with
1: that's excellent what about you mike who who really influenced your your culinary career well, uh,
3: you know just by accident because i was mostly uh, attending bar in college and then you end up at a restaurant that has a bar in it and so it was kind of go- it just went that way uh, now I- i'll tell you um between uh, John is who uh, is a criminal attorney here in town, and uh, he had he had all the family recipes, and so okay. it, and his brother uh, Fred, who just passed away about a, about a year and a half or like two years ago, um, was a was a pretty darn good cook. For just being raised in an Italian family and watching your mother cook all these dishes all the years from there, these these uh, recipes, and so. Um, and and of course richard cole they're all were fraternity brothers okay had, here know, at lsu here at lsu and uh they had all they're all great cooks you know and uh, no chefs no cooks and everything so they said let's let's put together with john's red sauce and john's recipes and w- and over the years we've had some chefs and we've had some great cooks and um, we've tweaked stuff we've tried it and so that's why we don't do many pheasants or or anything like that. Or White Troubles. Or White Troubles. It's just out of our our realm, unless Daniel will come over and show us how to do it, which he's always offered to do (laughs) stuff like
1: that. Stick with what you know. Stick with what you
3: know. So we just do these tried and true recipes. And every once in a while, we'll try some lamb and we'll do some things like that. And so, and uh, Richard's still there with me and my father-in-law, John, is there all the time. He seems to come eat a lot free. I think it's because he's quality control. <laughs> there you go. I hope, uh, but you know, I'm I I, uh, I really impressed with the things that Daniel has done and stuff like that. That's just neat seeing those major kitchens.
1: Well, we were talking a, a few minutes ago about you know the demand for more artisanal food and just a more savvy consumer, and, and that's made I think so much more competition in this market all these new restaurants that you alluded to daniel and, and a lot of them are in your neighborhood uh mike right there by the overpass it's a hopping little district is the competition good for for your respective businesses or is there enough of a market here enough big enough pie to go around
2: it's great for me because that they're more interested in yeah. paying a little more for pasta but i looked at a menu or a couple of these new restaurants menus and you you said earlier it says where the chicken egg came from this this that. it's like I don't want to. That's almost too much information for me. <laughs> and, and I was like, some of these flavors don't mix or
3: match well together. and But it sounds good on a menu.
1: It sounds fancy.
3: It sounds like I've got to have that. And most of the time, it's pretty darn good. <laughs> uh, do y'all
1: have on your menu that you served Agostina pasta?
3: You know, I don't think I don't think do. you do. I think, I think you to need make. to. My customers get nervous when I make new menus because they think the prices go up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. but what I got of such regular what? customers that when their bill, they know what their bill is going to be. So if it goes up, they're like, oh, he must have made new menus. But that's what something that definitely is going to need to be coming. So.
1: What of the competition in, in your neighborhood? Has it helped you, hurt you, or not made much difference?
3: I, I, I'm a believer that um, I, I'm always in favor of anybody's success as long as it doesn't hurt me. Uh <laughs> but I, I believe that it's better. We had ZZ gardens across the street forever. Sure. And it was a little watering hole and people would have a little bit of that and they'd walk over. And uh, now they have the merchant uh, might be called the overpass merchant. Mm-hmm. What the great guys. They did a fantastic uh, job on rebuilding that building. And uh, and it's just been nothing because they were closed for six or five or six months and it was terrible. It was dark. It didn't look good. And so uh, as soon as they went on back online and they're good, it's been great. And now we have the Clore uh, Street Grill right. right around the corner. Um, and, and that's just going to help. I, I, I believe a healthy bit of competition is good it keeps you if you're ripe if you're green you're growing and if you're ripe you're rotten
1: exactly so
3: you know you have to hit the road you can't just you know because i have plenty of people that tell me oh you guys are great you never go anywhere it's like yeah it's an ecosystem man you know it's uh you know you you put the wrong salt in the water or something like that and then it goes down so we just work every day we're, sure. we're there a lot and so i think it's good we got uh zippy's right down the street you got frankie's doghouse you got Galatois, you got uh, salad shop you got Jubins. you got all these other ones that are uh, still, you know, still doing great. So I, I, I encourage it. It's, it's and uh, I can walk good. to most of them,
2: so I I don't it. think any of them have the atmosphere you do. It's like almost walking in the Cheers when you walk in the Julio's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, well, you know 10 people in there, and uh, we, you we, see Mike or Clint behind the bar. Sure.
3: That's right. We saved some money on the glass, brass, and marble. There's no doubt about it. We <laughs> we went on the heavy, che- heavy cheap uh, decor, you know what I mean, when okay. they started. but.
1: But it's warm and it's and it's cozy and it has a, a good vibe and that's what you want in a in an establishment. You know, you want that Thank vibe. Thank you. We
3: appreciate that.
1: Well, you, you mentioned growing, Daniel. What are your plans for D'Agostino's? Do y'all want to scale up and go national? Are y'all looking? Um, Certainly, you have a business plan. This is clear. And with yes. Charlie D'Agostino working with you, I know you have uh, yes ambitions we, to go somewhere big.
2: And we want to um, be a pasta manufacturer, really, and that's what we're doing now. But go a little larger with that. And then um, the, our tomato sauce is great. We want everyone to, to try our tomato sauce and uh, go go really big in the groceries with that. Where um, Rouse has started carrying uh, our pastas and tomato sauces, which that was big. Um, is sixty so more grocery stores? Sixty-one
1: now, and that puts mm-hmm. you throughout the Gulf South. Yes, yes, that's huge.
2: And I mean that that that's big. And now we need to get our tomato sauce a little out a little more than. Um, we'll move out of the LSU incubator and have some other people make it for us. And that'd be great Uh, for us to get much bigger with the pasta, though, we um, are gonna have to get a different pasta machine or either a bigger facility to be able to make more and dry more. I mean, can
1: can you air dry pasta if you want to go national and scale up that size? Yes, We
2: just need a few more rooms. And I think that's what makes us really special is the air drying of the pasta.
1: Is it is the plan to go national or, or to stay regional or
2: um, s- to stay regional uh, Louisiana Texas maybe around Alabama Florida areas but um, I don't think we can get much bigger than that not with our pasta <laughs> machine and the way we're doing it
1: see where it goes yes. Mike have you uh, have y'all ever thought about a second location or growing or is this a, a, a one trick pony.
3: Well, you think about it, because uh, it would be great to make more money. I've got two kids at U-High uh, over here and in, in private school, and <laughs> it's, it's not cheap. And my wife's a realtor, and she works. And, uh, you know, everybody thinks, oh, man, they're killing it. It's only 14 tables. It's, it's only charming. 14. It's, that's well, hard inside, to believe. you know, sure. and there's another five. And, and that's seasonal, in and out, you know. We don't have it covered. And uh, uh, per square foot, I think we're doing great. I, I would love to. I just... It's 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 like having a kid move out. I don't know how I could <laughs> take care of both, you know. Yeah. And, and I've got a great manager. Clint Stockwell is wonderful. You know, he's as good as anybody. He's a rolling billboard. And uh, but yeah, I, I, I you never say no, uh, but it'll be uh, slow growth. Like like uh, Daniel and them would like to go bigger, but it's uh, sometimes you have to just take your time and and try to discover where that's going to come. But at this point, we're we were just busy little bees trying to take care of this this one this one location, I think.
1: Well, Mike, Johnson and Daniel Thompson, you're all are both bringing a lot to the culinary scene here and the cultural offerings in Baton Rouge. I wish we had more time to visit, but that's all we have time for today. Good luck with your continued growth, and thanks for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Daniel Thompson of D'Agostino Pasta Company and Mike Johnson of DeJulio Brothers Restaurant. You can find out more about D'Agostino Pasta and Julio Brothers by following the links on our website. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Mansers on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. mansurs is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2 for dinner nightly and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle, our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Rick Lacomb. All the music on Out to Lunch is composed and performed by Mitchell Foreman. You can find more of Mitchell's music wherever great jazz is streamed or sold and at mitchellforeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites at spatonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for its and wrkf 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch.
0: And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. And by Shewerton Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world.